Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. Actually, the CFO has to be ferociously neutral and ferociously independent. And that is a difficult thing, especially if as a person, and if you don't know this, if you know this, then you can act uh, with a knowing it. But if as a person, uh, you are, uh, you need to be close to somebody, if you need to be loved and if you need to be in- included and you don't know that, then actually you probably will get hurt in this situation because you are too close to other side. Yeah, and as everything is about creating trust in this situation, creating trust with a CEO that you're not big brother and creating trust with a fund that you are transparent. The only way of doing this is to be neutral. And in order to be neutral, you need to understand who you are and what your natural tendency is so that you can put this aside. Hi everyone, and welcome to this week's Strength in the Numbers. Now, really excited to bring you a special guest today, uh, Suzanne Leapman, whom you just heard from. And uh, the reason why I'm so excited to bring you, Suzanne, is she's had an amazing career uh, spanning uh, international corporate finance, leverage buyouts, C-level positions, controllership, uh, FP&A director. There's so many roles in the field of finance, plus uh, dealing with many different cultures whilst on her career journey and also Suzanne went back to school to study a very interesting area of human behavior and how that can be applied to finance and the LBO environment. So just so much to go share uh, with our audience today. Now, some of the things we deconstruct together on the show are how an LBO environment might be different to your typical, your corporate finance team environment within organizations. Also, some of the things you can do to play that balancing act and why it's important to sometimes go to the balcony I also like how Suzanne calls out the importance of being neutral and independent as a CFO and why that's important to build trust. And it takes a certain type of person as well. And we can deconstruct the more ideal types to be a CFO. And I think that also helps them becoming a CEO. And very important for today's current times is to is to be able to remove anxiety from the business. So knowing our whys so we can do the right thing. Uh, providing the valuable information on what that looks like to the business and that importance of building trust with business partners. So I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, please remember to to share it with others. They can subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube and Spotify. And we really appreciate you listening in today. That's enough for me. So over to Suzanne and the show. Suzanne, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Andy, for having me. I'm very honoured to be invited. Yeah, well, well look, um, I, I, again, I'm really delighted that you made, made it, uh, Suzanne, despite all the, the craziness going around us at the moment and the times we're living through. But, uh, you know, it's great to be able to have another conversation again, uh, albeit over, over the, the podcast as opposed to in person. But um, for some of our audience who are maybe less familiar with your background, would you mind maybe taking us briefly through your journey in finance? Sure. I don't look like this, but I'm a dinosaur. My ADN, or DNA, no, ADN is French, actually. My DNA is business finance with a huge passion 
for transformation of finance through finance. I am CFO who works now in leveraged buyout settings. So that means that a fund owns the company I'm working in. And I've always been seasoned networker. I think creating links is probably what describes me best. That's, I love this. I create links between people, between people who play in the same PL, amongst finance people, and also amongst cultures. I'm German. I've lived in France for the past 30 years, and I've worked mostly in international and Anglo-Saxon contexts. So to do it more CV-like, I did international business studies in France. That's how I got here in the first place. Then I started off in audit with Arthur Anderson at the time. That was beginning of the 90s when audit was huge. I quickly uh, went to a team uh, that did a lot of French-German cross-border acquisitions. That was the time when the big German conglomerates like AEG, Telefunken or Hagenuk were dismantled. And we had a lot of French tech companies who, who bought pieces of that. So that was at the time you didn't have virtual data rooms. You got into the companies. You could do midnight audits. You went to see the smell of the place, talk to people and, uh, and lots of funny stories to tell. So that was really, really great. And, and it was kind of my MBA then and, and a great company. And I left actually uh, way before uh, the Enron scandal, but it still hit uh, a lot when it happened. And I went to an American company where I stayed over 17 years. And I did a lot of, uh, well, anything you could do in finance. I started off in uh, mergers and acquisitions finance. Then I went to field finance as a business unit controller. I then was a corporate controller for France, went back to international. Actually, they were in the same building, which was neat. You only had to change floors. And in international, I was head of European finance planning and analysis. That was a great time, actually, small team. And we were really working on enabling the subsidiaries to, first of all, do their reporting, but also to see their figures in a way they were seen in the reporting. Because when I started, actually, they had their own systems and corporate had theirs and those didn't talk. And I said, well, well how can somebody explain uh, the figures if uh, he or she doesn't see them the, the same way than corporate? So we worked a lot of that. And uh, for me, really, finance is a language that... Uh, makes people talk around business. And, and that was really a very fun period. And then I, I took on the position of CFO. That's when I became a CFO for uh, the French and Tunisian um, subsidiaries of this group. Yeah, and after 17 years, it was kind of coming to a natural end. There was nothing more for me I could do uh, out of France, even in international. And um, I uh, really started thinking for the first time, yeah, what's What's going to next? I'd always taken my job via encounters, meeting the right person or the right company at the right time and following my instincts. And then I thought, well, at some point in time, I probably, I probably need to go contracting. And what will I write on my door? Very nice international trilingual finance professional is probably not enough. <laughs> and uh, I had done 
done a, a lot of transformation in finance and through finance, but really as a dilettante. And I was fascinated with the things, I mean, you know, all the statistics, the evergreen ones, 75% of all transformation projects fall, fail, um, if it's finance or if it's business. And why is that? And it's always the human element. So I thought, well, I would like to work more deeply in transformation, but better understanding the human element. And that's when I got the idea actually to take on studies again and to understand more about this. Well, um, that was a bit postponed because I encountered then my next company, um, a mid-sized company, pharma company. So I came out of 17 years of business B2B services and moved to a pharma company. That was held by a fund. That's where I became a LBO CFO. And we had really three fascinating years. The company doubled in size while I was there through business model change, geographical change. Uh, we changed sponsors. So we went from one fund to the next one. So a wholesale process and onboarding process a build up in the UK. So it was an amazing period. And I would say, I think we did three years of work, sorry, six years of work in three. Uh, but the idea of doing something really better understanding and studying the human behavior in change hadn't gone. What I did then, and that was in 2018, I actually left my company to do this study. So I've just finished a master in change uh, at INSEAD, and then to, not to name it. And that was a, an, a great journey. I'm very happy, actually, that I did this, although it is a part-time project as a, as a full-time, because I could really, I could read. I hadn't, I had stopped reading uh, before for some queer reason. So I started again to read, to question, to get deeper into really people subjects. And it is a fascinating thing. And it's all about understanding yourself and where you come from so that you then can better understand your own biases and your lenses. You look when you look at organizations and when you understand yourself, then you can put this away and really look at what is really happening in an organization. And that is really fascinating. And I'll, I'll start in, um, I'm now in the market again, and I'll start something probably, I think, in the next few months, once this crisis is over, in order to uh, go back as a CFO in an LBO setting. So yeah, that's about me. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think you've done really well, Suzanne, to fit all that in in the time you did because I like I know from our previous conversations you've got so many fantastic stories to share and and you've done some things that I know our audience would would love to sort of try out so that's why I'm going to sort of have to fire some questions at you about your journey uh, but I do want to come on with some of the the work um, and studies you did with INSEAD as well because I, I think that's where our profession is going as well and I'd love to, to go mm -hmm. through that but in, ter in terms of your career journey you know, and you and you sort of ended up as the as a an LBO CFO. How how did that environment compare to say when you were doing the FP and A work, or when you were sort of working in the sort of the more established uh, multinational type environment? You're going from that into an LBO situation, a completely different uh, sort of B two B to B two C. I mean, how did that? How, how, did you have to adjust yourself much? I mean, how did you how did you successfully adapt to your new situation? I think if you do this, you first of all, you have to love business. It's a job where you really like, you have to be like a Swiss knife because and unless it's a big uh, spin-off from a large corporation, it's often mid-sized companies that have very aggressive 
growth scenario, which can be aggressive that way because there is the money of the fund behind to help you succeed. I love this setting because, again, it's all about transformation. You, I think the, the times of LBOs where, uh, where funds come in and strip out costs and sell uh, bits and pieces at a higher price that they got in, that's largely over. Mm. Everything really is now about value creation. Yeah, yeah. And given the holding times, which actually have very much become a lot shorter, it's now sometimes only two to three years, which in my mind is really not enough. Uh, they used to be four or five years, which is a lot more reasonable. It allows you really to do some decent transformation in the first place and then also uh, put the basis for the following transformation so that whoever buys it gets also a slice of the cake is a more normal period. But it is all about creating value, which you have also in normal, quote unquote, companies, but it's, it's in a shorter time frame. So you don't have time. Uh, generally, you have the ask is to behave like a multinational company, like a big company uh, with the means of a smaller one. Yeah, yeah, so you have to be yeah. quite That's inventive, agile. You jump from one subject to the other, start in the morning on cash, and then you jump to strategic planning, and then you jump to a customer issue and to a team question. So it's really all around. But what I found really, and also after my 17 years in a corporate situation, what I found very rewarding is to be really to sit at the table. You're only, you don't have like zillions of other corporate finance people above your head. You are reporting to your CEO and to your fund, to your shareholder, and you really matter and you can make things move. That for me was yes. really, I'd say, that's what I was looking for in unconsciously, I think. And that was really the revelation. Obviously, it's a tough environment. It, it's fast paced. You have to do everything at a time. The fund generally is quite impatient. But the, the role of a CFO <laughs> in there <laughs> is fundamental. And this is actually something I've uh, taken as a master thesis in, in my studies is to look deeper into the relationship between the fund or the shareholder, the CEO and the CFO, which is kind of the, the head, a constellation uh, for every leveraged buyout. But it can also, I think it is pretty universal. It's just that in a fund setting, in an LBO setting, it's like a magnifying glass because things go so much quicker. What I found actually is that the CFO has a unique situation in there. He is actually, he or she is the balancing element in this situation because you have a power relationship that changes sides. It's the CEO who is really the powerful person before the fund gets in. Then the fund is in, in a majority setting, obviously. Otherwise, that doesn't work. And then the power is for the fund. And everybody tries to get the CFO on, on his side. And actually, the CFO has to be ferociously neutral and ferociously independent. And that is a difficult thing, especially if as a person, and if you don't know this, if you know this, then you can act uh, with a knowing it. But if as a person, uh, you are, uh, you need to be close to somebody, if you need to be loved and if you need to be in included and you don't know that, then actually you probably will get hurt. 
in this situation because you are too close to other side. Yeah, and as everything is about creating trust in this situation, creating trust with a CEO that you're not big brother and creating trust with a fund that you are transparent. The only way of doing this is to be neutral. And in order to be neutral, you need to understand who you are and what your natural tendency is so that you can put this aside. That's actually, I mean, that's a very valid point because I've, I've, you know, I actually, the way you described it, Suzanne, I actually do miss working in private <laughs> equity now. <laughs> Take me back on my own journey as well. But no, I've seen it play out really badly for people that were, let's say they were with um, a business and they helped build it up. They'd invested blood, sweat, tears from the a CFO role in there. And uh, the fund comes in. And then they're taking everything personally because they, they're so wrapped up, their yeah. identity so wrapped up in their role. And um, and I, I and I had this really uncomfortable position. I had these private equity because I was like the, the head of investor relations, reporting stakeholder relations and all that. They come to me and they said, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to get rid of the CFO. And I had the CEO come to me and said, like, what do you think? <laughs> it's just like, I, I, I just felt like it was a function. What they ended up doing was actually getting rid of the CFO, who was a good guy. It just... Any time the private equity firm wanted to engage and do something yeah. differently, he took it personally. When really, as you said, the role of the CFO was that balancing act, and the balance just what was wasn't there. And then they brought in another CFO. I mean, who was fantastic for my career. I learned so much, and uh, forever indebted to, to him. But I can see the the importance of that balancing act you describe. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> and and also the point you mentioned about you know knowing knowing yourself better, and if you're going to be suited for these things. I mean, so. So you just gave some examples there of the importance of sort of knowing ourselves um, so that, you know, and, and, and not sort of taking things personally when the roles maybe not going the way we want or whatever. But but um, sort of is there any other things we could do to to, to be that better balancing, um, play that play, play that balancing function better? Yeah, I think it, it's really there's something that resonates a lot uh, with me and that was said a lot during my studies. It, it's a very simple thing, actually. It's go on the balcony. Uh, look at uh, what happens to you or to the company from another place. And the image that is given is always that if you're in a ballroom and, or, or in a party room, everybody is frantically dancing and you are on the dance floor. You don't see anything. You don't know who is there. You don't really know what people are doing. And you in there feel quite, yeah, feel quite alone, actually. And, and you can't really make sense of it. If you go then on a balcony and look on the dance floor from above, then you will see probably what people are dancing, who is dancing with whom, who is aside, and what you could do in order to feel well in this party or make somebody else feel well. And that is something, it's this changing perspective. That is really something that is that was a revelation to me. So, you know, when I'm a CFO and I getting, I feel attacked by the fund saying, well, they don't have the right figures or uh, I don't understand what you're saying and uh, uh, I want this and this detail and I know, um, well, I don't have this detail and I, I won't be able to get this in the near future because we don't have the system to do this. Actually, what I need then to do uh, is not to be the perfect person I always want to be and have everything ready and have every yes. question already answered in advance. And then, then I will feel attacked personally because I'm not perfect mm-hmm. and the fund has seen that. But if I am sure enough of myself, I know I can't be perfect here and I just acknowledge this. And I explain, well, I understand what you want in this transparency. 
let me tell you what we have and what is possible and uh, and better understand why you need this so that we can find a way to do this if it's absolutely necessary because it's going to sp- have one person spending a week on getting the data together but maybe also maybe the problem is not what you're s- saying so let's talk together and identify the real problem so that the week spent by my analyst is a good week yeah actually you know what this is that is a that, that's fantastic what an example no no that that's a brilliant example to use that i i you know when you were saying that it just felt like you were counseling <laughs> the investors <laughs> it's like let's really understand why you need that you know and it's but no but that that is very because because you sort of separate it because the immediate reaction and i i know a lot of finance professionals feel this is to try and have all the answers, try to be perfect, try to be accurate. That's where identities and roles are getting mixed in, right? Yes. But if you can separate that just like you did there and then take a step back up to the balcony and say, okay, you know, what's going on here? Try understand the situation, understand why. Uh, and it could be a completely different reason. Exactly. And and this is the band day, so with the COVID-19, obviously, and uh, not working at this very moment, I have fortunately enough sometimes to look at webcasts. And I just followed one on design thinking yesterday. And it is exactly that. It is the first step in design thinking is to understand what the real problem is. Meaning there is a problem that is put on the table. But if you take it as is, and if you don't try to understand what is really behind, you may spend a lot of work not asking the right, not answering, sorry, the right uh, question. So, for example, somebody came to me, I need a new credit limit for this and that supplier because we were, they wanted to, to change actually the contract and said, went into the limits. And they said, yeah, why is that? I don't know. They need it. They, okay, let, let's see what, <laughs> is re, what is the real reason. And actually, uh, those guys, they wanted actually uh, to push out the contract. So they wanted to lower their contract in the next few months because they had a trouble with their year end. So they, they had too much revenue and they wanted to push some revenue out. And we uh, didn't want to do this because of, well, our constraints. And actually understanding what where they really came from, they didn't just want to change the contract. Actually, they had, a, they had an issue about the year end. And understanding that the, their year end was at another date than ours, actually, we were able to not only accommodate and so push out some orders, uh, so we didn't order the, the product when we had thought we would, uh, we pushed it out a bit, and then for us it was still in the same fiscal year, so it didn't really matter. They were accommodating, and then we got a price cut. We could get actually the product cheaper a little later. But that was because I'd asked, well, why, are they, why do why? they want to yeah. do that? Let yeah. me understand what the real reason is. Uh, once you are, have the real reason, then you can say, well, yeah, we can do something within the limits of legality, obviously, in my values, uh, or we can't. Yeah, I think that's a good habit to get into that, that, that sort of just remembering to ask why, but maybe in a, in a nice way, because you keep saying why like a small child all the time, you know, it's like a, great on people's nerves. So it's just yep. when we're asking why, ask for it in like a nice way, like, you know, so, so you know, which means or, or what are you hoping to achieve from that? Just softening that why, why a bit, but it's a great, it's a yep. great question, but I feel the reason why we don't ask it enough in, in finance, particularly because of our heritage in accounting, is I think because we're used to reacting you know, oh, I want mm-hmm. the numbers. 
Can you get me this yep. analysis? Oh, I needed it yesterday. Uh, all those sort of things. Just just go make it happen. Uh, whereas actually, how many times do we, we walk up the balcony to take that bigger view or just hit the brakes a second to stop? Hang on a sec. Why do you need that? You know? And um, and like I've had the same scenario myself play out. And it's like if someone needs sort of something, I said, how much is that worth to you? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> they, they, you know, are you going to, if it is it, if it worth enough for you to invest in it? Or is it worth investing a week, as you said, a week of my analyst time in this? Mm-hmm. Uh, for you you know and that's why it's important and people appreciate that because you know um i think it's just part of becoming a bit more commercial and also and it's not why to say no it's why to do the right thing and especially if i get back to the fund scenario you have to understand i mean a fund is okay they are majority they are the bosses but they don't see the company every day they think they know what they've bought but generally oh, they don't. God, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you also, the management in general, we think, well, they, they know. And we take stuff for granted. They ask for analysis, which we find not useful. But we have to understand that actually, what are they? Ha- they are anxious. Yeah, exactly. they, un- until there is enough trust built. And uh, one of the biggest tasks of a CFO is also is to build this trust, build the trust with this, uh, with the business on one side and build the trust with the fund on the other side and not being torn too much to one or the other. Yeah, and until key. this yeah. trust is built, I mean, you have to explain and re-explain things over and over and to do a lot of teaching just because they don't know. And as long as they don't know or they don't understand, they are anxious, and that's human. And again, that's where the, the, the human element comes into play. Well, I was about to ask you actually about that one because I know I know we want to talk about the dynamics of human behavior. This is where it's key, this whole trust thing. It's a very, very human quality that people look for in each other, you yeah. know? So this this dynamics, I, I, I want to sort of get on to your example about the lasagna and the spaghetti. Would you mind maybe taking an audience through that? Yeah, it's maybe to that why suddenly I think that finance has to evolve in a way that we better embrace uncertainty. I mean, I've been brought up and that's probably why I chose finance. It's precise. It is not ambiguous. There are figures. You can translate stuff into figures. You can measure what doesn't get measured. Measure what isn't measured doesn't get improved. And everything is orderly. Uh, You can, with a lot of technicity and best practices, good practices, actually you uh, resolve all your problems. Especially, I think, having been very early on ERP adoption in finance, we've kind of thought, well, everything is now in the machine and uh, we can do everything and anything. But actually, today's world is different. And I compare this, and, and this is something I stole from somebody. I don't really know where this comes from, but I've seen that in a presentation. I found this so compelling that I, I am using it now. We come from a lasagna plate. We come from orderly figures. We come from figures that tie into the penny. And we were trained to resolve structured, simple to complicated questions but always with a big um, chunk of technicity and a lot of top-down. And that's where most finance people come from and, and how they were trained and how I was trained. But actually, right now, we are in this volatile, uncertain VUCA world. Actually, we need something else. Uh, we have now rather complex issues uh, where you can't resolve them just by best practice because best practice just doesn't exist. 
So Doesn't you have to you? probe. You have to trial and error. You have to sense stuff before you respond. And right now, for example, with the COVID-19, we're even in a chaotic situation, in an emergency mm. situation, where actually you act first and you think afterwards, which mm. is not something that is very common to finance people. And that's what I call um, the spaghetti plate. We need to be able to deal with this complex to chaotic situations by, uh, well, working with unstructured issues. And unstructured issues, you can't resolve them all alone. You can't resolve them with technicity. Actually, you have to pull in other people. You have to be inclusive with other functions. Maybe the solution is with uh, somebody uh, who's very, very junior, but who has a great idea. But if your organization doesn't allow for the junior to speak up, you'll never get that great idea. I think that is where uh, a challenge lies today, but which is also a huge opportunity. It's not that finance people can't do this. Uh, they just need to be, be, to be conscious of it. And, and then it's a muscle to be trained. I, I, I couldn't agree more. The only challenge I have, probably like some of our other audiences, I actually like both lasagna and spaghetti. So, um... <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I, don't, and I don't say don't eat lasagna anymore. It's just maybe yeah. from time to time, do some spaghetti plates. Yeah, I, I think that's the right way of looking at it because I think uh, that lasagna is a really good foundation. You know, it's, it's simple to put together bit by bit. It's orderly. Uh, and from there, you know, it's sort of we know it tastes good, but um, but like people are throwing more spaghetti plates at us nowadays, and that's that's the way the the menus change, the trends change, expectation to change. You know, people want exactly. us dealing with more spaghettis. So no, it's a great great analogy. Yeah, and the spaghetti is about unconventional methods. So maybe you in today's COVID nineteen issues, well, you 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 try out stuff you've never done remote working maybe before, or uh, video conferencing, or doing team sessions in a virtual room. But that's where you just launch yourself and you learn as you go. And it, and it is okay also, even if you are the boss, if you are the CFO, you don't know all the answers. But the important exactly. thing is to be candid about this. Tell what you know, tell what you don't know, but create an environment where people who may have answers or may be able to find answers can express themselves. And that is really, yeah, I so. think that is a paradigm change for the old top-down finance organization. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. Uh, Suzanne, like, uh, I thought we had a great conversation so far. Just a few uh, questions I want to fire at you quickly, as we normally sure. do. Um you know, so look, you've given us great advice, great conversation, lovely analogies and stories. I suppose in terms of yourself, what's been the best bit of advice you've ever received? I think that is some advice I got when I was in my 30s. And actually, I had followed a boss who was to become the president of France. And he had told me, and you're going to become my CFO. I said, yes, great, super. I'm not even 40. I'll become a CFO. Let's go. I hadn't given a thought about this, but unfortunately, the incumbent CFO had no idea that he was pushed to retirement and he, of course, didn't want to go. So I actually ended up in a very delicate situation where I was supposed to be his right arm, his deputy, and he didn't want to have a deputy. So I was kind of a nobody and I was hampered in my career progression. I was very sad and very hurt personally. And I, at that time, I think that was the first time in my life I got a coach. I don't know 
again, how I got to this, probably I talked to somebody who talked me and said to me, well, take a coach. And that guy didn't have to do anything with finance. He came from sales, but he was a great coach. And the piece of advice he gave me is, Suzanne, the most direct way to the top of a mountain is probably not the right one. It's very steep. It is very complicated. But if you take the serpentines and you do some left and right curve, then it's less steep. It is actually, the landscape is probably nicer. You have time to look at the landscape and you're not only trying to reach the top. And eventually you reach the top, maybe a little later, but you have done lots of stuff in between. And uh, I found this, that that was uh, really revealing. And at that time, yeah, I decided to take such a serpentine and I eventually made it to the top late, 10 years later, uh, or yeah, not even 10 years. I think it was seven, seven to eight, but I, I made it. And actually uh, I made it in a way that I had uh, a lot of experience in between, which I wouldn't have had had I come to the top too early. And I think that is something I still uh, now probably yeah, 20 years later, I still think of when I'm trying to be too speedy to get somewhere. Yeah, that's, I think that's, that's fantastic advice. It really resonates with someone who comes from the southwest of Ireland. It's just, uh, it's uh, as much as sometimes you want to get that direct route, sometimes mm-hmm. just taking it a bit uh, more, uh, casual is the wrong word, just being a bit more aware and appreciating the journey you're on. Um, and it's not necessarily a straight line linear uh, which is again comes out of lasagna yeah and it's also about the journey if you don't appreciate your journey you you miss out on a lot of learning opportunities completely agree and and and, um, i suppose for audience suzanne would you have any recommended resources you could you could share with us or suggest to us this is more this is less the technical stuff it is really more about being yourself being vulnerable a book that i love is from Brini brown is daring greatly and this is really about the courage to be vulnerable and how being vulnerable and showing who you really are actually helps you to create all the connections you need uh, to thrive and that is something that looks very odd in the first place, but there's also a famous TED she gave, The Power of Vulnerability, where she says you don't fight vulnerability, but you use it to be aligned with yourself. And that is something, uh, I think, had I read this book earlier, there are probably a few things I wouldn't have done or I would have done differently. <laughs> but again, it's, it's never too late. Never too late. Yeah. Then I have three other, uh, two other TED Talks and, and one uh, great talk here, which is already 15 years old, I think it's the last one that's it's called The Smell of the Place by Professor Samantha Goshal in Davos. And that actually talks already uh, 15 years ago that in order to make people thrive in situations, actually to, you have to put them into in a context where they can. And he compared the, um, the context and companies that don't do this to downtown Calcutta with smog and hot and you don't get out and you you're too lazy to work versus a Fontainebleau forest. Fontainebleau is is, is uh, the city in France where INSEAD is located. And so any forest, anywhere, you get there, you feel energized, you see the spring coming and you feel energized to do all those great projects. And uh, he urges actually companies to create a Fontainebleau forest atmosphere in order not to be in a constraint, compliance, control contract. So a very pessimistic, negative environment and top-down environment, but more to 
be in stretch situations, have commitment, support people while they're doing things, and thus ultimately create trust. And we spoke a lot of trust in this talk, and this is really something, it's just eight minutes, and this really, really, really resonates a lot with me, and it is kind of really evergreen, like is like spring is in a forest and the energy that it gives you. Definitely. And so look, some, some great recommendations there, Suzanne, and uh, we'll make sure we get those links into the show notes. I suppose in terms of audience, if we're, they, they wish to continue the conversation, uh, where's the best place to connect with you at? I think, well, LinkedIn is the best. It's Suzanne Leapman, you don't have zillions of these names there. So you find me pretty quickly. And you can also see, because something I haven't talked about is I'm heading up uh, as a serious networker, a large finance network that operates in France, but now also reaches out uh, to other countries to uh, network with other countries and with other uh, finance communities. And that's actually how we got together and myself. And so love also to continue connecting finance people and finance networks. Yeah, I think um, I think that's really building building our futures, and it is those networks and, and and sort of pulling what we're learning together, what who's doing what well, where we could do better, and and, and grow together. I think there's so much opportunity out there. So, I encourage uh, our audience to go check that out as well. And um, Suzanne, look, really appreciated the the journey you took us on today. Uh, would you perhaps have any other parting thoughts for our audience? The only thing is be yourself, be clear about what your values are and who you are. And then you'll uh, really pretty easily figure out in what kind of situations you fit and where you don't. You don't need to be a CFO just because you need to be a CFO. Some really fit in this and some are great in being an SP&A leader or a shared service center leader. And that is great. You need to find your way to really with your personality and that way also uh, you will better be able to separate your role in the company and in the organization from who you are and if something doesn't go like you want to well maybe it was not the right role but it's not yourself who uh, who you should doubt of yeah but that's that's really great great advice to to, to finish up on so suzanne thank you for coming on the show today being a great guest mentor for us on strengthen the numbers Thank you very much, Andy, and uh, I truly enjoyed it. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, 
We'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers.